transforming NASA. We'll talk about that on this episode of the Mind Dog TV podcast. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the host or guest and should not be interpreted as statement of fact. Independent fact checking and corrections are encouraged. This episode is brought to you by Funwise Capital. Funwise Capital is a business lender matching platform. Avoid the mystery of one-sided deals. Connect with Funwise to get the very best funding you can qualify for fast. You can apply online in 60 seconds or less, and there's no effect to your credit to see how much you can get. It's easy. Use the funding for anything you need to start or grow your business. You did hear me correctly. I did say start or grow your business. If you don't have a business yet, but you got a solid business plan, they can help you get funding. Get the best funding you can qualify for. Their strategic lender matching platform searches through hundreds of lenders to find the very best possible option for your unique situation. They have hundreds of five-star reviews on Google, Trustpilot, and Facebook, and an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. They provide unsecured lines of credit at 0% interest for 9 to 15 months. Unsecured term loans, loans based on income, short-term gap funding, and bridge loans. They work with real estate, startups like I already mentioned, franchises, restaurants, any kind of business, any kind of project. To get started, it's really easy. Just go to apply.funwise.com slash minddog. That's apply.funwise.com slash minddog. Get money for your business now. Apply.funwise.com slash minddog. Is everybody ready for the minddog? The magnificent show! And welcome, my friends, to yet another episode of the Mind Dog TV podcast. I'm Matt Napo. Thanks for coming. It's great to have you here, as always. Another day and another reason for me to feel pessimistic about the future of America. I feel like, you know, lately I've become so jaded and so disillusioned uh, in, in this country and everything that we stand for. And can we ever get past our differences that we see right now and just get back to one country with a common purpose. I'm really pessimistic and doubtful about that. Part of where we find ourselves is distrust, major distrust in all things government. And if you follow me and you follow this program or the morning program, you know, I have a, um, large contingent of conspiratorial-minded people out there. And some of the things about um, what we've been dealing with for the last 60 years or so, uh, when, you know, uh, President Eisenhower um, kind of clued us into the, um, the money and the uh, industrial uh, complex behind all of politics and all of, of the spending that we do in the government has left a lot of people jaded for many years. And we see more and more reasons every every day, it feels like, to distrust government. Um, my guest tonight had a uh, played a crucial role in updating, transitioning NASA. Uh, to where where it is today so where it is not necessarily um tied to that trillion dollar government contracting um that has been set up since world war ii really since the end of world war ii uh but i i was really interested in talking to her tonight you know for two purposes she's written a book called escaping gravity which it, right from the start uh, presents a problem with some of the people that I have on the uh, on the morning show who don't believe gravity exists. How do you talk to these people? And the, the distrust about the uh, the moon landings and all this stuff. I want to get past that and talk about the future of NASA, why it's still important, and uh, the all this whole innovation of having you know billionaires uh, developing their own private. Space agencies, I want to call them that. I don't know if that's the right, right exact way 
well way to do it. Uh, hopefully, you learned something here tonight. So, uh, Lori Garver has led the NASA transition team for President elect Obama and served as Deputy Administrator of NASA from 2009 to 2013. Escaping Gravity is her book. It is uh, just released last week, and it's already. Uh, bestseller on Mars, uh, which is amazing. Just one week, uh, traveled that far. Uh, it's, it's a first-hand account of how a handful of revolutionaries paved the way for a new era of transcendental change at NASA. I want to find out what that means. That's transcendental is a pretty heavy word for a guy like me. Uh, from inside the space agency, Garber collaborated with key players such as Elon Musk, boo, <laughs> Jeff Bezos, boo. President Obama, okay, uh, uh, to usher in a more peaceful, inclusive, and meaningful space age. Garber's effort to put her uh, uh, effort to put her in the crosshairs of the established interests of the people I was talking about, who viewed her as a threat uh, to the trillion-dollar government contracting system that has centralized power in the United States since World War II. It's a lot to say, ladies and gentlemen. Please open your ears, open your minds, and help me welcome in Laurie Garber to the Mind TV podcast. Thank you. It is wonderful to be with you. And thank you for being here. Now, uh, the challenges I face with dealing with uh, people who just have major mistrust uh, for NASA, um, have you dealt with that? Do you, is that just my perception that it's as, as big as it is, or uh, have you felt any of that personally? Now, somewhat aligned with your opening comments before that, I am not sure I am going to be the guest to get you out of your funk <laughs> of, you know, the government is not always got your best interest in mind. Um, I am generally a pragmatic optimist, and I rarely run into someone who does, certainly I don't know that anyone has admitted to me they think the world is flat. But people who mistrust government enough to think we baked the moon landing have been rare to raise that with me. Um, however, that doesn't mean, you know, there's an equal number of people who believe in ghosts and those things. So um, we, I think, as a government, the message of my book is really that we owe the public, since they're spending their money, um, full transparency. And I'm not quite sure how we get to people who don't, um, think we've we've done that in such fundamental ways as right. having gone to the moon. But I'm here to tell you they're not all is well um, and that we do need to hold our government leaders accountable. I, I, I hope so. But, uh, you know, I, I, I already established I'm a pessimist and not, <clears throat> not really uh, all that uh, hopeful for any of that. To, I want to show the book cover here. Now, Escaping Gravity, uh, I'm, I'm going to try to read the, the tagline here. My quest to transform NASA and launch a new space age. Now, what, is, what exactly does that mean, uh, transforming NASA to launch a new space age? What, what is different about the new space age from the old space age. <laughs> so NASA has been around just over 60 years now, and in NASA's first 15 years in human spaceflight, we launched like 25 missions, three different spacecraft, six of them to land on the moon, all within this very short period of time. Since then, the next 50 years, we've launched zero people outside of low Earth orbit, and we've taken about 350 different people to low Earth orbit at a cost of about $350 billion. So the math is pretty simple. Our tax dollars have been spent taking people at a billion dollars, um, each astronaut to space, clarifying many go multiple times. Um, and that at that rate, we weren't bringing in the um, benefits that we did in the early days when we were driving technology, when we were inspiring um, the next generation to go into science and math, when we were leading geopolitically and showing that democracies were the way to advance science technology in this nation. NASA has struggled and I was at NASA from 1996 to 2001 when the administrator at the time was pushing to transform NASA, but the shuttle, the space station, these are big government programs. The industry is getting 
billions a year to operate. So the last thing they want to do is replace them. I came in in 2008 with President-elect Obama, stayed for the uh, uh, five years total, and was able to have a competition to replace the shuttle that has reduced the cost we pay for a seat to the space station and home for an astronaut of $55 million. So that transformation is lowering the cost of your tax dollars to do things we've been doing for 50 years, which for the eight, nearly nine years between the shuttle and our recent launch of the commercial SpaceX vehicle with astronauts, we were paying the Russians about $100 million a seat. So wow. I think that's a transformation. I'm proud of it. I tell the stories in the book that are not always flattering to an agency that many people hold dear, but I do end with an optimistic note. Well, that's good. <laughs> I, I need to read it then. Uh, not that I will, it will make me an optimist, but maybe it will give me some hope. Um, the questions I have for you now, uh, this uh, the job is not necessarily political in definition, right? But there, there's a lot of politics involved. Once you get in there, you have to, you have to battle the status quo. You have to, and every little change you make is a change that somebody else is going to be defensive about, right? So there, there is some politics to, to the job. Well, well of course, there's politics in any job, but the big P politics of Washington comes because when you're spending taxpayer money, you've got to show some value to at least some members of Congress who will vote for your program. And NASA had, you know, filled with very, very smart people. They have figured out how to do that. Okay. Um, and the programs that they have in place are by and large, you know, valuable things to do. They may not be managed in a way that is most efficient because we don't reward efficiency in government contracting typically. You know, you get paid a certain amount, and if it takes you longer, you get paid more. <laughs> right. So that, that doesn't incentivize, you know, I, I joked in the book that time is money that just has the opposite meaning in the, in the commercial marketplace. You want to get out to market quickly because you're um, shorter you do it, the more money you make. And in the government, the longer it takes you, the more you make. So that's a, that's a, a real shift and that is the transformative change that's happening. All right. Now, uh, when you speak of efficiency, and I've had this brought up by so many people, and not just the crazies, that the conspiracy theory people, but by people who are uh, legitimately um, legitimate thinkers and, and academics, is, um, <clears throat> first of all, um, efficiency in bringing costs down and dealing with private sector people like the billionaires that you, that are mentioned in your um, intro. But the question people have is, do we need, because you mentioned man in a bunch of man uh, uh, missions early on, and then not so many now, do we even need people at all? Do we need humans to be doing any of this work? Can it all be done by drones and robots now? Well, so this is something that the public should be able to be in on this debate, right? Um, NASA is just used to keeping their same percentage, which is, I don't know, uh, between a third and half of their budget is spent on human spaceflight. Well, I talk in the book about how much we know about our planet because of the vantage of satellites and from space. And we wouldn't even know how to start addressing climate change if it weren't for these satellites measuring the interactions of the oceans, ice, land, and atmosphere. That's NASA. The first A in NASA is aeronautics. Uh, NASA's investments have lowered the um, environmental impact of aviation. They have improved its safety. They have really driven this very important industry that gives more than a trillion dollars in value to our economy every year. Lowering the cost of space transportation, whether you're taking people or not, helped our balance of trade by uh, hundreds of millions of dollars, probably over a billion a year now, because we had lost all of the launch market to the Chinese, Russians, and French. And so, yeah, I we're going to get in and talk about Elon Musk, I am quite sure. And I was never 
didn't have my thumb on the scale for SpaceX, the company he leads, um, winning this. They won the contract along with Boeing. And they beat Boeing so far, even though they got about half the amount of money. Um, they've been really performing. So none of those things necessarily required people in space. And to me, that is a value proposition that if our tax dollars are going to it, should be up to the public. My own view is over the longer term, of course, we must go to space for our survival. We know a single planetary species is not going to be eternal. But I think the priority today probably should be on the 7 billion plus of us here on Earth and the things that we have learned how to do um, because we have a space program, instantaneous communications and so forth. It's hard to put a value on that separate and apart from human exploration. No, and this is a big problem when we talk about these astronomical numbers is, is people I know. Are I know trying to put that into real sense of, of the value that comes back for people. It's almost impossible because I, I have no idea what $350 billion can actually buy. <laughs> and of course, right. And today's uh, today's uh, a third of the defense budget. <laughs> right. But the, the value of, because uh, comedians bring this up all the time, believe it or not, the value of going to a place like Mars and <clears throat> like and the exploration that's going on there, it's hard to justify that in, in for a lot of people in, in real terms. And I bring up, because I'm not a smart man, I bring up things like that I, I learned it, from the moon exploration and all the side benefits that came out of that beyond just getting moon rocks and stuff, all the technology and all those kind of things that we learned from just going through the exercise of that uh, was a value in itself. But I can't quantify what that value is. That's a real hard sell to the public or or you know just getting the public to really take the time to understand where our tax dollars and how they're being spent and what the value uh, we're getting for it is is that part of the challenge of your job and part of uh, is that it, that kind of challenge highlighted in the book absolutely and i believe that you know one of the things as a senior political appointee at nasa is i should take responsibility for that the public to NASA is often those constituents who are already believers in what we're doing. You know, it's a right. very self-feeding cycle. And I wish more people would go on shows like this because I, I always have my background was not engineering. I came to this from a different place. That's part of the reason I think I had the perspective I did when, during my career. But most people don't really get out much and... They talk to the contractors who are getting money to do these things. They talk to the members of Congress with jobs in their districts, and they themselves um, potentially even want to maybe go work for one of those companies and make more money in the future. You know, it's really um, a fairly feather each other's nest type of an arrangement, which I found very distasteful. And that is what the book is about. Right. Now, we, we've, we've incorporating... Um, the billionaires and the capitalists who are, are in on this. There's a there's a big perception out there that these guys should be into it. Um, and I'm thinking about Musk and Bezos, and of yeah. course, you know, and uh, I guess Branson to some degree. But they should be in in in, in an altruistic mode. And then, but we know they're capitalists. That's how that's how they got the money to do this in the first place. But and then people tend to look at if they make a dime out of this stuff, that they must be evil or something. That it's a that's a tough. Uh, question and a tough discussion to have as well. Like, how much is how much is uh, a fair amount for capitalists to get benefit from this thing while they're while they're benefiting while, while we're benefiting from their inclusion in this? How do you answer that? Yeah, that is a very sophisticated and nuanced uh, question. So I'm not going to go with your previous statement about you don't know much. This is important. Um, I am one of the only people I certainly know who doesn't have either a hate or love for Elon. You know, he is who he is. I don't understand how anyone could or um, would want to really amass the hundreds of billions. Same with Jeff. 
same feelings. I have very positive things to say about their space endeavors because they have lowered the cost of what it is that NASA is doing so that we can do more valuable work. Um, I, my last interaction with Elon was a Twitter beef where he took issue with me saying precisely what you just said, which is, okay, I get it all. Jeff and Elon want to say they're doing this to save the world, but let's face it, it's a business proposition. And he tweeted, you know, oh, you're so wrong. That's ridiculous. I could have easily made so much more money on an internet company. Okay, fair enough. I completely believe that. And I think, like I said, that investment in space has been good for NASA and our space program. It, But saying the only reason you're in it is to save humanity, like, that's a multi-generational task. Yeah. I can be very altruistic myself, but it's not um, like you can really ignore the fact that if they're, I, I mean, it's a good thing that you've found a way to make business out of it. That means you've lowered your launch costs enough that people want to buy your rocket. That's great. Um, the amount that they've gotten from the government, other than SpaceX, Jeff Bezos hasn't really gotten too much yet with government contracts. Elon's money is in the billions. And again, to your point of, you know, billion here, billion here, there, you're talking about real money. That is multiples less than the companies were getting who he beat in the competition right. for the work. But I know we somehow find it more unseemly, unseemly, because he seems to be the beneficiary of the government investment. But Back to your opening with Eisenhower, the government investment, the, the people who've been unseemly, and in truth, they're just trying to return money to their shareholders, are the big aerospace industry companies who have been making money hand over fist and keeping out the competition. Right. And okay. they were the ones who attacked me because I was promoting a competition. Now, yeah, I could see that. Again, now this is anytime. This is where the politics come in. Anytime you come in and try to improve things, uh, make any effort to improve things, there are going to be people who are already making money who don't want the 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 ship rocked, the boat rocked in any way. And any so, the old system is working for them. Why would yes. they want to change? Precisely. Yeah, but is it transparent? So can because <laughs> I have never even tried to do this. Can we find out? You know, the profit margin that that, that these guys, the individuals, are making, or or the corporations that are still involved. Can, is there a way for Joe Public to kind of keep this, uh, keep keep abreast of this information? And it, I realize that most people are going to be too lazy to really do any of this research anyway. But somebody like me who might be just interested in knowing these numbers, is it transparent? And can I find out? There is more transparency, supposedly, in theory, uh, to the cost plus system that tracks um, the typical NASA contracts to big aerospace companies. Those are publicly traded and therefore have to do their 10K filings and you could go down that SEC trail. Like you said, very few people will. A complaint on the companies like SpaceX and Blue Origin doing this work is they are not publicly traded. And therefore, no, we, we do not know what their returns are. Again, from my perspective, as a steward of the taxpayers in a government job, if someone can do for a third of the cost what I'm paying, um, how much do I really care what they're making? Right. No, I get that. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. It, uh, but I think the people want to know because, <clears throat> well, not everybody wants to know. P uh, part of the, the segment of, of America at, at this point, greed is just um, one, of, one of the really frowned upon uh, faults that we have and when we see somebody who already has 240 billion dollars we we want to know how, how many more billions he's making off of us even I, if even if he's giving us great benefits i believe that spacex has paid themselves through his money and his investors more than they have ever gotten from the government uh, i believe that he believes that will change but to date my my assumption is that is correct. Right. You know, it's like Amazon. They don't really make money yet. I mean, I, I don't know how that works. What is the 
the chief skill that you bring, a characteristic that you bring to your to that job that enabled you to um, deal with all the the political mess that that job requires in order to 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 um, bring about change in order to be a catalyst for change. Um, Cause that's a, that's not something they teach in school. That's something you have to learn by, by doing, having some kind of experience. I would think as a lawyer or, or a litigator or something, uh, what is the, what is your chief quality that helped you do be a success in that job? Well, I believe the differentiator is what you just touched on earlier, which is I didn't have a self-interest per se in the status quo. Now, I could have because obviously I play the game. I'd probably gotten some big job on the way out, right? But the typical NASA leaders in the positions that I then held had been astronauts. They had come from aerospace industry and so forth. And they were engineers who were attracted to the program because they liked it just as it was. So they wanted to keep it just as it was. And my boss, the head of NASA, had flown on four shuttle missions. He'd commanded to, you know, he's a Marine general. What's wrong with aerospace industry? Of course, this is what we should be doing. So what I brought was a skeptic's eye. I could be one of your callers. You should all think about a government career because you go there with that and it's very empowering. Um, I did, I of course wasn't super popular um, always, but I think the changes already that have come out of these decisions, I've had people even, even today write me and apologize and say, we were right, you were wrong, and this is better for our space program. Um, I just, I, from the Midwest, I'm very direct. I feel like you have to, um, you know, all you have in this town, I live in Washington, D.C., is, you know, your word and your credibility. And NASA has been losing that because they've said, we'll launch on this date and do all these things, and we haven't done it. So we need to align ourselves better with the public, be more transparent and have programs that they really feel are of great value. (laughs) Uh, Well, now I'm going to, knowing you live in D.C., I mean, obviously, um, talking about political things can't bother you if you live in that town. (laughs) Uh, Well, Earth Earth Rise Alliance, um, and you mentioned uh, climate change uh, before as a uh, benefit what we're learning about climate change through space exploration um, as a, a benefit from from that from that exploration. But we live. It breaks my heart to say this. We live in a world where there are still a lot of people who just think climate change is just a made up. It's a it's a uh, political point of uh, it's 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 made up. It's not real. It's it's fake. It's phony and all that stuff. So that plays into budgeting and all those kind of things, right? Can you even talk about those kind of benefits of, of the of space exploration when you're talking about budgeting for for NASA or? Because that becomes a political hot potato, and then you're going to get Republicans. And I'm sorry to uh, get to go down the political stuff and make it a, a team thing. But you're getting a lot of people on the on the right saying climate change is it doesn't exist. What that's not a benefit. We're not getting anything from that. So can you be a political person and, and kind of in, in that position and bring up those kind of benefits or not? Do you have to shy away from that? So I started off by saying NASA was not partisan. This part of NASA is the part that can be partisan. Um, And the budget for Earth Sciences, which is what NASA calls it, is around $2 billion of 25. And so with a Democratic administration, it's slightly more. And with the Republican, it's slightly less. The truth is we make more of this disagreement. People tend to agree we should be understanding it whether they believe it's human caused or not well and and of course this includes nasa's um ability to develop weather satellites and i'm pretty sure those aren't that controversial no i agree and i'm glad you said that because 
I try to tell people, I don't care if, if you're going to argue about whether we can fix what's wrong with climate change, but if you deny that there is, you're not paying attention. You're, <laughs> I mean, or you're just not old enough to, to see the changes that we're going through because you don't have to be a, a rocket scientist <laughs> to see that, that the earth is going some, through some major changes climate wise. I mean, if you everywhere, it's, it's just plain to see with, without having a great, uh, you know, you don't need to be a PhD or, or anything to understand that it's going on. So the only argument we should be having is how much can we do, uh, if we, if there's any argument at all, how much can we can do and, and what, we, what can we, you know, what can we do to, to slow it down, stop it or whatever that stuff people bring up all the time that, you know, maybe it's out of our hands. The ozone layer was thought to be out of our hands two twenty years ago too, right? <laughs> exactly. And some smartness, the scientists figured out solutions and that's that's really helped of course those are maybe the same people who don't buy that whole story um for for me i think the solutions part of climate change should be equally easy and one of the things the real message i leave people with in escaping gravity is you know we overcame gravity by having an aligned vision when you are all pulling in the same direction things happen and you know gravity is this constant and so smart people can overcome it so what we got when we went to space people for the first time i think one of the most important lessons was they turned around and found they looked at ourselves for the first time and it really sinks into astronauts. They all come back with this thing. They call it the overview effect. But I say that we are all in this together. Whether or not you think it's changed, you know, there aren't any barriers. We are here on this blue green ball, Mother Earth. And why would anyone have a problem if they made money by changing out their heating system to solar? you know, tax incentives. These are not controversial topics. Just, you know, you can rise above and work toward that end state goal without getting bogged down. And of course, today, like many days in Washington, that is is hard to do, but we we have to do it. And I have found really, I was raised in a Republican family. And then I went and worked for John Glenn, who's a Democrat. And then Clinton and Obama, but in the book, you see a lot of um, positive things about both Bush administrations and their work at NASA. This is not a partisan uh, book. It's certainly something that tries to leave you with, hey, we live in a time when, yeah, we've maybe most of us agree have created a lot of these problems, but we also live in a time when we have the technology to solve them. Yeah, well, I would love to hear uh, um, somebody on the extreme right say it's not a partisan book, even if it even mentions the word climate change. Because I've seen, I've seen some really, you know, I, <laughs> I'm, I'm not a smart man, but I do talk to a lot of people on this program and and hear hear a lot of political opinions and stuff. And climate change is one of those ones that will get people angry, emotional, and really, especially if they deny deniers. They will be no coming. question and book <laughs> reviews because it has it came out a week ago today um i i do tend to get a lot of followers on the right because some of these concepts like competition as you mentioned capitalism right. um tend to be supported by those people and they say well other than her climate change views this is a great book right. yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> i'll take it i'll take it no that that's good stuff now i want to talk about who the book is for because as i mentioned jokingly uh this that on amazon i saw number one bestseller in in mars not on mars but who is the book for? Do you have to do you have to be an academic to, or was it written for academics, or is this something? Because as as you probably got the gist of by now, I'm not really um, uh, all that impressed with the common man's um, intellectual 
uh, curiosity about any of these things or really caring about any of these things. Most people, workaday people who are taxpayers, all they're concerned about is you know making ends meet for their family, paying for their homes and stuff. And a lot of this stuff is, requires deep thinking. That most of them just want the headlines read to them and somebody to analyze, analyze the news for them and tell them what to think. So this book seems like you'd have to be at least academically interested in uh, to some degree to to even pick it up is it written for just academics or not of course not i mean it's a memoir this is my life and i am a very average person in my view i just grew up in mid michigan um normal uh middle um income family and really got into a career that was, I'm sure, not at all what anyone who knew me growing up would have gotten. And I have some stories about hanging out with Tom Hanks and the fun Apollo astronauts. And I went to, I tried a stint to go to space myself in Russia and Lance Bass from NSYNC showed up and we had this whole fun competition between Astromom and boy band um we we really i think there's a number of people who do want more information about how our world is just generally works of course most people want the same things i mean we're all we all have parents many of us have children we want happy, healthy families and being able to do that and have our government do it better is, I think, a um, a common interest. But of course, the it's not a technical book. I'm not a scientist or engineer. No, I get it. But it's it, a story. It's a story about someone's life. I, I joke that I should have just changed the names and called it fiction. Did, did, now, <laughs> in, that, in your role, uh, with NASA, did you have to, you, obviously you probably had to have conversations with people who were, uh, rocket scientists all the time, you no? Know? And what sure. is, and so, um, as somebody who's not a rocket scientist and not, not necessarily on that wavelength, uh, those conversations, they are, how do you adapt to that as a, as a administrator? Uh, yeah. that's, cause that's a whole different skill and really. It is. And I guess I'd argue, you know, most people who'd had my position had engineering backgrounds, but that's a very dissimilar skill. Um, Because at at NASA, we're not just doing engineering, we're doing astrophysics, astronomy, earth sciences, aeronautics. Um, And if you're one of those things, you tend to only focus on it. And I really focus on the big picture and how did we integrate these programs to return uh, to the taxpayer that value that people expect and that was disconnected from a lot of the rocket scientists who came there well I'm building a big rocket why because I want to build a big rocket mm, okay that's not a reason for the taxpayer <laughs> um, I didn't interrupt their technical work. I was interrupting their whole, you know, right. um, state of belief. I think system. I think we need to definitely uh, re- reinforce the idea that this is a memoir. It's a story about your life in that role, right? Because I think that's not necessarily apparent within the title or or with it within the cover of all that stuff. And some people might be intimidated. Yeah, I wanted to put memoir on the cover. That was a debate I lost with the publisher. Um, the, cause it, it really takes me from my early childhood. And as a woman, not, you know, being discouraged from entering science and math and then coming back here as the deputy administrator is sort of fun. Um, the, early years uh, the closest i would have come to this career would have been a fleeting interest in being a stewardess because my uncle was a united airlines pilot and so we had a field trip in fifth grade and when we went the boys all got pins that said future pilot and we got pins that said junior stewardess <laughs> I still have it um, <laughs> oh my goodness <laughs> so you know it's it's stories like that yeah, that's that's got to be tough. Uh, <laughs> <clears throat> now, 
in I deal a lot with creative people, and I I am of a unwavering belief that most artists are not necessarily uh, business inclined, and I would think rocket scientists are the same way. They're they're so focused on, like you said, I want to build a big rocket that they're not they don't really care about. Uh, the business aspects or the dollars and cents of it is that was that a uh, a struggle and a challenge for you on a daily basis is trying to kind of uh, talk business with people who were I don't want to call them artists the rocket scientists are artists of a whole other uh, medium I guess but it was that a challenge in dealing with that aspect of talking to a right brain person from a left brain perspective or vice versa uh, I think that was a piece of it. The more obvious piece was this, you know, boulder in the eye of I should be entitled to do this. You know, we, okay. uh, what do we owe to anyone? This is, you know, NASA. Right. We're a victim, I say, of our own success and that we really did. Uh, we truly did. I've met many of the moonwalkers and I guarantee you they are not, they don't like each other enough to uh, tell you the same lie. <laughs> right. if, if, if we hadn't gone, we'd know about it. But the, um, the perspective of the rocket scientist really was just opposed to, as you said earlier, change. And that's completely understandable. They all could be extremely smart and able to communicate. Like when the shuttle had a delay, they could, they would draw for me the problem because I was then going on to speak about it with either elected leaders or the public and the media. So um, there, we had lots of interactions that that were positive. And right now I think they are really feeling like the changes we drove have returned very well to NASA. Many of them have gone to work for these companies. And, you know, it's not just SpaceX. Boeing also won one of these um, contracts and should be launching astronauts to the space station this year. Well, I want to ask you about something. I don't want to, because uh, I've already gone, I've said, said enough kooky stuff about, you know, the conspiracy theory people here, flat earthers, and and, uh, and moon landing was fake and all this, but um, I can't not have somebody who, who was in your position and not talk about this at all. Um, because you, you mentioned earlier about oh, we've lost, Boy, this is a really convoluted way of asking this, but we've lost a lot of traction in the launch capabilities to China and Russia and, and whatever, wherever France. other. Yeah. Um, and I feel like space exploration, because of my belief that we are not alone, uh, we, we should be looking at it as a one world type of thing, but we still have borders and we still have enemies. And so I was confused when we started depending on Russia to get back and forth to, to the international space station. That's a confusing thing. Like what goes wrong? What could go wrong? Well, we could, <laughs> we could be at war with them and that would really suck. Um, but this whole, I, I come back to Reagan's uh, thing about um, if, if we found ourselves uh, threatened by an alien civilization, all this petty stuff that we argue about, borders and, and all, we would see the world as a one-person thing. So I guess the question, can we, can we operate as a one-world um, scientific exploration of and trying to save this planet and take care of this planet when we still have nationalism as and national not just american nationalism but nationalism in every every country in the world can we operate as one world science on a scientific quest to do the best for this planet and still maintain separate countries <laughs> well that's you know unknowable other than to date no um you know uh some of us believe we are under threat as a planet and we obviously are not operating on all cylinders to pull in the same direction you know i um however have also thought i'm i'll have to look for the reagan quote but the thing about space and my comment on we realize we're in this together there are really two quite distinct 
um, events that could happen to test this. And one is an incoming asteroid and the other is finding sentient life elsewhere. Um, the asteroid threat is something, I, well, both. The media, Hollywood has done quite a bit with this and we typically fail you know, um, <laughs> to get our act together. At least, gosh, that most recent one, Don't Look Up, um, yeah. had, had had us really not getting our acts together. But you would like to think that those could be the types of situations that would cause us to operate as human beings. Um, I choose to live in a world where every day I... I try to act in a way that will allow that to be the case. If we get to this point while I'm still walking around, um, there are things we can all do. I think to help feed a narrative that is, Hey, we can disagree. That doesn't mean I question your very um, belief system. No. Yeah. You know? And I mean, you must have this. You're saying all these people are watching or listening to your show and yet you're, being somewhat derivative of them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, um, so they're choosing to listen. They're choosing to get in more information. Yeah, that that's true. But some of them, you know, you, you know how social media works. Yes. A lot. Some yes. people just want to hear their their beliefs validated, or some people just want to troll, and they are they're coming in ears closed. Uh, but coming in to argue their point, and, and we've had a bunch of them in the chat room, and I'm not exposing you to them. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, so, so the, are you, we'll take the first one, the asteroid uh, threat, because I do believe that that's a, a threat that most people don't, most workaday people, I'm not talking about people within the scientific community or within NASA. Most people uh, don't take seriously enough that it could not, we could not get enough warning. It's possible that we would not have enough warning. Do you think we're being proactive enough as America, just as a nation, uh, in, in addressing the what ifs, or, you know, could, what, what, might, what might be some of the possible solutions if that scenario happens? Uh, I talk about this a bit in the book. We did manage to um, focus this program more. I do feel better than I would have about answering this a few years ago, but I still don't think we're doing enough. We There's a whole category of asteroids, um, mainly not planet killers. Those we can usually now with our telescopes see, but from some directions you can't. And the medium sized ones that could be continent killers, we can't, we, we haven't categorized or tracked all of these. So we need to do that. We have the technology and then we need to do a better job at figuring out not only how we could technically move its course of direction to save us all but how that would work on this on this planet with governance who's yeah. going to make that decision yeah yeah uh, uh, yeah and and, that, and i did think that movie highlighted that pretty interestingly boy i didn't even think of that because you know the, <laughs> there's a whole complication there if what if you try something unilaterally as the united states and something screws up and we do some damage to another part of the world <laughs> why would that right <laughs> fly politically oh my god i didn't even th think about those kind of things because uh, you try you want to think we'd be unified in some way in, in an effort but you know what people we just so are, are so divided and, and and you people don't believe in climate change they're all going to believe this right right yeah <laughs> um the other thing i have to ask you about this now uh ufos we <laughs> and um, the possibility of extraterrestrial life um first of all I, there was all this hype about we, government was going to have open hearings about UFOs and all this stuff. And because our news cycle is so cluttered with craziness now, every single day we have another national emergency of some sort or or big breaking news story that we had open hearings about ufos and nobody even nobody was even paying attention they waited for 50 years clarifying you know we want transparency they have open hearings and nothing was covered about it nobody even talked about it or any of this stuff but the question i have for you is in your position did did you, were you uh privy to conversations about what some of this stuff might be 
You know, surprisingly, I don't think I was in any meetings where we talked about this. There is, I, I had clearances. And of course, as I've said on other shows, you, if you're not a person who believes the government's being transparent, that you're not going to believe me, I was in the government. My kids, one of them is even like, mom, are you really telling me everything you know? Would you tell me? And um so this is one of those those tough issues. But I will say, again, similar to asteroids, it's one where governance is an issue because really what would happen? How would this contact, you know, be conveyed through which channels is really important? As far as I know, the government has not had contact, which they have verified in any way as extraterrestrial. But I, I, I honestly don't think the deputy administrator of NASA would know. Really? I don't. Oh. So, I don't uh, think they tell me. <laughs> wow. I, I want to know who would know, but that's... A, right. A that's, I mean, obviously, the the rumors are the military, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but it, it is interesting to kind of... Because just this morning, I had a friend who, who, who posted a UFO thing. He was in Albuquerque. He said, this has happened in his backyard. He took it with his phone last night. And then I on Twitter like a thousand tweets uh of from san diego of the exact same anomaly he saw in albuquerque last night it makes me just wonder well and i can tell you if i had been willing to write about it people really thought i could sell a lot of books and i kept saying but i don't know anything right right um this is separate than astrobiology sort of microbial life that we find um and hope to find on mars where we see water and so forth nasa does invest and talk about that a lot they they would talk so you would know about that if they found uh because I've had a guy on my program who swears there was life on Mars and that NASA is keeping that from us and all. Uh, Microbial uh, life that NASA has a couple of times, sort of, there's been scientific papers saying it has the signature. It's not definitive. I don't think, I think most of us feel it's probably true because we find there were, um, there was water on Mars and everywhere on earth where we find water, we find life. Um, More interestingly is like, will the Webb telescope potentially find a blue green planet circling a star at a distance where some type of recognizable life could, could have formed. Now that I think was, uh, it is one of the most, if not the most fascinating thing that NASA is doing. Right. On a personal note, I don't know how do I phrase because I've had so many, I worked in government and people who follow the program know of, I've had so many careers that, uh, uh, I've worked for everybody, but I've worked in for, for the government in a d- couple of different capacities, and I know so many people who have, and I get personally upset, and I, I'm prob- I'm guessing you don't. You probably let this just, like, water over a duck's back. But when people, when the conspiracy theorists come out, I get personally upset that you are... Basically, when you come out and say the moon landing is fake, you're you're accusing everybody of NASA or so many people, a great number of them, of being dishonest. And these are human beings; these are people who work along. You're you're a, a, a fellow American. You're not like you don't seem like a um, conspiracy. Somebody who an evil uh, criminal who's going to keep this stuff on under wraps and and be part of a grand conspiracy to keep this stuff from us. But I feel like every time I hear this stuff, I I get angry at, you know, these are good people. You know, do you ever talk to these people and and see who it is you're accusing of this, like, massive crime against humanity? Does that bother you in any way, or is it just... Well, as I said, it does not happen to me. I, you're just running in some crowds. Um, I'm not sure I've ever had someone come up to me and say, you faked the moon landing, and I've worked at NASA for over 10 years. I'm friends with Buzz Aldrin, and he has gotten that, and he, like you, makes him crazy, you know? He took a swing at that one guy. (laughs) I know. They they take a person Personally, and they should, um, you know, I, I think it is silly. And, and one of my kids is a little more toward a conspiracy theorist than the other and has some thoughts on 9-11. And my description similarly is think of how many people you are accusing of being in on something untoward that um, it's very, very impossible to imagine. And um, I just think that if you 
already have this in mind, there's something else going on. So no, my, my book, my story is that sure, there are issues we could do better with our tax dollars at NASA, but you know what? It's, it's a transcendental thing that we do to leave this planet. That was the word you had trouble with. I think you have described some transcendental things like finding life that didn't originate on this planet that your tax dollars are focusing on and that's wouldn't we want that done in this country right you know i even say this about bezos and musk like okay i mean i don't you know want them running free speech or these things and not everyone um i cannot relate to them at all but if they were doing these businesses in china how would we feel you know, we'd rather they were here driving technology, creating jobs. And and perhaps, as I say in the book, they're young-ish men and um, there's time for them to transcend this and maybe behave as some of the multi-billionaires are in doing, um, you know, more of the Okay. Donating and less grandstanding. I, I, I hope I don't have anything against capitalists, and I am pro-capitalist when it, when we can society can be, benefit from it. Again, I don't care how I'm with you. I don't care. Well, how these labels aren't aren't helpful. You know, yeah. capitalist, socialist. It's it's like neither is the full answer. Right. Now I agree with that. I totally agree with that. Uh, now, I, what I'm curious about you as a role model for young women and and um for women in general now um are you concerned with that part of legacy or or and if so were you always like did did you have a sense uh, of a greater meaning for your life before you got into this role in in uh in, in administrating one of the most important uh, government agencies there is um did, did did you get into it with a sense of legacy or or, or your personal impact or are you just a regular person just trying to do a job that you got into yeah the latter no one ever asked me that before and it's it's true it's sort of weird about me i i, I had no sense of that I and once i got the job i was heads down you know doing the job and then i left and i'm getting asked to speak and to do these things and i wrote the book because some People have been asking for my notes. They wanted to tell my story. I'm like, well, I think I should tell it if it's going to be told. And um, I have started a fellowship program for women in um, aerospace. They get paid internships and mentors. That, and there's this cohort of now several hundred um, early career, now diverse set of folks entering our workforce. And I say in the book, one of the it's very surprising um, but i would have never thought that my greatest impact is clearly in this next generation and when you can impact people by simply showing up and answering their questions and somehow be a role model that that's just all you want to do because yeah, I, that's the future i think a lot of us struggle with this because a lot of uh, you know dreamers set out thinking in order to make an impact in the world i have to have that intention where i think you're an example of somebody and i think you just said this if i'm clear on this that you just went in to do the best job you could do in the in the field of your choice and didn't think about making an impact but did anyway in spite of just going in and doing a daily job and i think for a lot of dreamers, I think that's a hard thing to, to kind of grasp. It's like, what do you mean? I should just I should just focus on day to day and, and not think about ten years, twenty years down the line. So the question I have now is: Having read the book, have you had the reflection to look back on the most important? Because you have a dual, uh, you probably have more several areas of legacy, but your your greater impact to this point in your life as an administrator for the government or a role model for women in administration? I've looked back as much as, you know, is healthy. Sometimes I just have to turn it off. I fear I'm, 
you know, becoming a narcissist to hear my own uh, voice or read my own stuff. But uh, I don't know. You're asking to choose one or the other. I definitely choose mentor, but you're never going to be that mentor and role model and, unless you've achieved something that people think they would like uh, to model themselves after. And, you know, I did grow up because my Midwestern family, part of that is leaving the world better than you left it. It's, you know, doing good things. And I thought government service was that. But I cannot... I, I never, I took the next job that was out there that looked interesting to do. I okay. encourage people to do that. Cool. Well, I appreciate you being here. The na uh, name of the book is Escaping Gravity. Uh, my Quest, that, that so that should give you an idea that it's a memoir right there. My right? Quest to Transform NASA and Launch a New Space Agent by Lori Garver. LoriGarver.com. Uh, now, just quickly before I let you go, Earthrise Alliance, That is that, what is that? Exactly. That is just a nonprofit um, project that was funded by a family philanthropy. And we're just using satellite data um, to translate that into actionable information to address the climate. So, for instance, you can tell from satellite data greenhouse gas emissions in real time. We got those maps to envoy John Kerry as he was going over to China to show them we can see what you're emitting. Um, you can't hide. Things like, things like that. Looking at dams and translating that information through journalists when the water levels are becoming so low, you're going to have to ration water. Real life situations that satellites can help us uh, limit human suffering and adapt to climate change and hopefully ultimately find some solutions and turn it around. Well, uh, your optimism is, is definitely... Um showing a bit yeah maybe it's just because i'm such an extreme pessimist that whenever i run into somebody like you i feel how could how could she be uh, having hope for for humanity and for, for america i i don't know how you get out of bed not having that hope <laughs> well i appreciate you here now let's uh make sure we get this book to be bestseller also on I'm Earth, not, on okay Earth. let me just say real quickly those categories i don't know who selects them it's not me mars <laughs> is some category i'm number one and i joked with you before the show yeah for all zero people uh i am number one on mars <laughs> yeah well we need to get it for everybody on this planet as right. well and then you'll have at least two planets out, out of the nine so or are, are there nine i don't know I don't know about Pluto anymore. Uh, <laughs> anyway. Doesn't didn't make the cut. Uh, yeah. Well, thank you for being here. I wish you great success with the book. And if, if you uh, have any reason to come back for another publication or uh, you just want to clear up some of this uh, conspiracy stuff for me, I'd appreciate I get ready to come clean. This is okay. my spot. <laughs> thank you for being here. Okay. Bye. Thank Bye you. Take care. Bye. Lori Garver, folks. Um, well, I didn't get I didn't get her to to confess to the big uh, cover up <laughs> that doesn't really exist, or um, admit that the Earth is truly flat because it isn't. Anyway, I hope you I hope you uh, hope you enjoyed this program. I hope you learned something tonight. I think I did. I think I did. Uh, I want to read the book because, as she says, it ends on an optimistic note. I need I need some optimism. Uh, you know, and, and I'm not, a, I'm not really hopeful for, for anything and it, it, every day it gets worse, but, um, so I'm going to read the book and I, I hope you will too. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Write to me at info at minddogtv.com, info at minddogtv.com. I have a show for you tomorrow morning, coffee with the dog and Peter's Parker's two, both his names of them. His first name and his last name are both uh, in the plural. Peter Parker's, uh, not the Spider-Man, comedian from Brooklyn, New York, will be joining me on Coffee with the Dog tomorrow. I hope to see you then. And uh, so then, I'm Matt Apple for the Mind Dog TV podcast. Have a great rest of your night. Bye for now.
listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now.